Hello, everybody. Rev up your engines and welcome back to the season four finale episode of Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. That's right. We made it. We've gone through guest co-hosts. We've gone through Autumn's weird trip to Dubai. I mean, I mean, we went through a lot. This this was our most chaotic season. I went back to work right before we started. So that threw our whole recording schedule off. Autumn took on extra teaching jobs and decided to direct two shows back to back. Because, you know, as As one does. (laughs) As you do. (laughs) Exactly. So it's been a wild season. But to wrap us out, we have chosen a iconic musical. Mm. A musical that is done in... I guarantee every high school at some point or another. Mm-hmm. It is a show that is the word, as one might say. It's the time. The time and the place is the motion. But so, joining me to discuss this show is, first of all, our fabulous Canadian B. Arthur, the director extraordinaire, the potential Madame Tenardier to my Tenardier one day, one time. Autumn Smith. Oh, hello, everyone. Hello. <laughs> the the wannabe Kaneki, but always cast as Jan. Yes. That's me. Autumn Smith. Autumn hello. Smith. Hello. And I'm excited to say, so. uh, for this episode, after speaking about him uh, from our first inaugural episode of season one to now on every episode, even though he's never appeared officially, but you've heard his music, it is our one and only theme music composer, Mr. Brody Weld as our guest of the episode. Hello, Brody! Thank you, thank you. I'm glad to be here, McKenzie. <laughs> it feels like a prophecy fulfilled, I gotta say. I, I know. I mean, I remember talking to you before your daughter was born about Brody. I'm doing a podcast. Can you write me some theme music? And then, and then it was like, Brody, do you want to edit the episodes? And Brody was like, yeah, sure. Then you're like, oh, I'm having a kid in mind. <laughs> Brody's yeah. now, uh, his child's now in university. Yeah. yeah. She now manages a small hedge fund. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Has some good crypto stock. <laughs> yeah. so, she's, she's the sole breadwinner in our family. I love it. <laughs> Brody, give us a rundown on who are you? Besides being the composer of our theme music, and also the creator of such albums as Locusts and Home Decor. Give us the rundown. Who is Mr. Brody Weld? Well, what a great intro, man. Yeah, so again, first name Brody, last name Weld. But <laughs> I, I release music as a producer and a rapper and singer under the name Flozis. <laughs> yeah, I, I have known Mackenzie since high school. Uh, Day one, so founda- Yeah. So my foundational experiences with musical were not yeah. only alongside Mackenzie, but... <laughs> uh, Often at the behest of Mackenzie, introducing me to new musicals. Just true. And I'm a better man and a better musician for it, Mac. Oh, that's good. Brody was the one that came up and shook my hand on day one of Green Night when we were locker neighbors. He oh turned to me God. and said, I'm Brody Weld. Who are you? I said, I'm Mackenzie. And he said, we're, we're in English school together. I was like, great. Do you know where we're going? He was like, yes, I do. Well, that's awesome. I love that. And that was it. We did creative writing together. We did Copacabana, where Brody played the waiter who gets dunked in, in like the New York Harbor. And I was the Cuban trapeze artist, Carlos. Oh, my God. Yeah. Right? Exactly. But yeah, I mean, we didn't even say what the musical was. We were talking about Greece. Greece. Greece is the word. It's got 
Oh, did we not say Greece? No, we did. We teed it up and oh. jumped over oh. introductions, and we never got back to it. That's so terrifying. you can tell we're we can, you can tell we're a little bit scattered today. We're a little bit high energy. We're excited. We got some great guests yeah. on. It's it's a lot of fun. So, but yes, Greece. That yeah. is our episode today. It sure is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I chose this. This was not an autumn pick. I said, have at it. Go for it. Yeah, exactly. And I chose this musical because this was one of the musicals I performed in high school with Brody. So this was one of those ones where it was like, we're going to get it on the list at some point. I mean, this is an iconic show. And so for me, I just went, you know what, going back into it, because I remember when we first got told in high school, you're doing Greece, I was like, oh, really? I mean, we're going to do Footloose, which isn't much better, but (laughs) Greece was the step up. Thank God. But I mean, I think it's a fair representation of those teenage years when you're trying to find your place, your group, who you are. It's an interesting piece where on one hand, you're rooting for Danny and Sandy to get together. And while Danny changes himself for the better by joining the track team, you have Sandy who changes herself not in a great way to be with him, where she kind of has to dress down and, you Who's know. Who's to say? Who's to judge that? I mean, Who's she goes from a... Judge that? From like the girl next door look to leather pants yeah, and low cut shirts and starts smoking. Into starts... one with personality. Come on. I don't know. I think Sandy had personality before. She was quite defiant. She knew who she was. Okay. Yeah. But then, you know, Sandy and peer pressure or Danny and peer pressure kind of get to her. Well, he succumbed to peer pressure too. Yeah, but he does it in a good way where he joins a, a team and kind of gets a leg up in the world. She kind has to step down to be at his level. No, she doesn't. That is so classist. Honestly, can you honestly say Sandy's changes for the better when she goes from being a smart, intellectual, good, wholesome teenage girl to now being a smoker, grease jacket. It was the times, baby. It was the times. She was peer pressured into it. Brody, where do you fall on this? Come on. I, I feel like the issue is that you get such a small slice of Sandy after that transformation that it's almost hard to like entertain that as like, oh, that's the realized version of Sandy. That's what she wants. It's kind of just like you get used to the version that Mackenzie's describing. And then in a flash, it's like, bam, now Sandy's this like leather chain smoking badass. And they just kind of leave it to you to accept that like, that's good. That's Sandy's cool. And she might be, but I don't know if I'm seeing enough of that to buy it, you know? Right, exactly. I mean, like we get the whole Sandy D reprise where she's like, Sandy, you must start anew. Goodbye to Sandra D. And she's like, Frenchie, give me a makeover. And then it's like, surprise, I'm now sexy Olivia Newton John (laughs) with a perm. Physical. Come on, seriously. But it's wrong with a bad girl image. But nothing in the musical has given us the indication that this is what Sandy's true inner life is. I mean... Well, of course, she's changing for him, which is never good in any scenario. Mm-hmm. But why aren't we judging him the exact same way? He's becoming something he's not. I'm, I'm yeah. judging, to be clear, I'm judging Danny Zuko from the start to the end of this musical. I, <laughs> I, I, I like it here. We have him lower down in the notch of the, the <laughs> Yeah, standard. He's not a track star. That's not who he is. No, but at least when he chooses to join that team, he's making a conscious effort to better himself for her. But maybe she's making a conscious decision to better herself by joining the Pink Ladies and being part the of the Pink Ladies have been shown to not be a good influence. 
You have Fringy, who's who's a high school dropout, also dropped out of beauty school. You have Marty, who's like sexy. What? You got Jan, who's eating Twinkies, and it's probably the best one of the bunch, but she's okay. dating a mooner. Like, you got Rizzo, who's deep pregnancy potential over there. Like, but you're ju- you can't judge them. You are such a judger. <laughs> you cannot ju- you're a man judging women right now. You I am not. do that. Did, did I, Sandy join the Pink Ladies? Is it a foregone yes. conclusion that she joined the Pink Ladies? Yes. To, no, yeah, no, she, I know she did, sorry. But yeah. did she do it to please Danny specifically? Or I thought it was kind of part of her, like, you know, finding a place in the school narrative. Yeah. That, well, that's what she does. She finds a place in the school because the Pink Ladies are the ones that invite her to their table. Because I think she's next door neighbors with Frenchie. Like she's yeah. like she's the like she's a new neighbor to That's Frenchie. Right. So Frenchie's like, hey, I know you. Come sit with us. So I mean, if she'd be friends with Patty Simcox, could be in a totally different story altogether. So I don't know. You've not I mean, seen Dairy just... Girls. You need to watch some Dairy Girls and learn whose side to be on. Because mm. you know what? No one wants to be friends with Patty Simcox. <laughs> no Patty gets one. a bad rap. Do you know what? She's terrible. She's annoying. And no one likes her. So there you go. She's not kitty. that bad. She's just perky. Hi, kids. She's the classic cheerleader. Blonde cheerleader. Mm, she's a little too goody. She's telling everybody else who they should be in the world. <laughs> oh, boy. Brody's like, what the hell have I walked into? <laughs> you know what? Actually, I was trying to remember if Patty's the one who wore the crazy glasses. I think she, she is. Was. Yes. The, like, dramatic the cat eye glasses. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the cat eyes. Her and Marty. Marty wears them too and drops her fake rhinestone into the mac and cheese during the first cafeteria scene, which Jan then eats anyway. Because, <laughs> you know, let's everything. make some, like, body shaming jokes about Jan. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Jan's Another great the, the punching bag of the thing. She players. is. Jan is the punching bag. Shout out to Sophie Clark, our wonderful Jan in high school. <laughs> Who did a lot of fake eating in preparation for that role. She did. She did. But yeah, so I mean, Greece, there's a lot to talk about. We will get into this. I will say for me, I'd seen the film version quite a few times over the years before the show. And then I got a really good understanding of the piece when I performed it in high school with Brody Wells, where I played um, one of his greaser sidekicks, Sonny Lattieri. I tried doing a Spanish accent for one rehearsal. And and our wonderful drama teacher, Mr. Robinson, said, no, Mac, you're not doing a fake Puerto Rican West Side Story accent. Do like a Brooklyn, New York accent, anything but what you just did. That sounds like what she was. She was ahead of our time. She was. Shout out to Miss Robinson. Great last name. Yes. Bravo. Yeah. Sunny Ant. And then I also did Teenager where I got to rock the white wig and white shoes. They they spray painted some shoes white. So I had a full white suit, white wig. It was a look on him. It was a look. I love pictures. So, I mean, Brody, give us the rundown about how you came to this piece. I mean, was it only when you did the show or, you know, beforehand? How'd you end up being in the school production? So I knew it beforehand. Uh, I Mm -hmm. think, you know, it's kind of hard to be a remotely musically oriented white dude in the Western world (laughs) and not be exposed to Greece at some point in the era where we were growing up. So I'm sure I'd seen it once or twice. I don't remember it being more impactful than like, oh, okay, 
people older than me really like John Travolta's hips was kind of how I coded it as a kid. I was like, that seems to be the big takeaway from this whole musical thing. Yeah. And then cut to high school. We get to do that. And I think it was grade 12. So the end of high grade school. Grade 12. Yeah. Yeah. Which is it's kind of perfect, right? It's like, you're not really, no, I don't think anyone's, not many people, I should say, have sort of the confidence to even fake real machismo or like, you know, tackle some of the nuance of high school insecurity until you're kind of at the end of it and you've been through that mm-hmm. gamut. So mm-hmm. timing was pretty good for that. You got, you were part of it. We had a great cast of people. We did. It was super fun. And obviously after that point, I was very familiar with Grace. So. Yes. We spent months on that sucker. Yeah, as you do in high school. Yes, that I was. Had my, sorry, I had my first ever diva moment as an actor when we were doing that. I, did you really? You know, well, I had to stay for like a, a large amount of rehearsals, even yes, when it did. wasn't, which I, I now appreciate in hindsight. Like, yeah, that's what getting a lead part is. You're not just going <laughs> to show up in a cape and, and superhero costume and do something cool and leave and go home for the <laughs> night. Like, you're there for a lot of the scenes. And a lot of the time, you're not doing anything but like two steps of blocking while the chorus practices something. Yeah. And, and I remember I was at a certain point, I was like, Miss Robinson, I'm not, I can't just be here all the time. And she was basically like, yeah, you will. And you have to be. I was like, okay, good, good talk. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow. Love. Gotta love Miss Robinson. There. She was, she, she, she was, she was one fierce lady. She kept that show in line. She navigated it through some tough waters. Otto, what was your, what was your history with Greece? What was your first experience? Yeah, uh, give us the rundown. Well, I was alive in 1978, so I was around mm-hmm. when the movie came out. I was born a year after this debut on Broadway. <laughs> it's frightening. And I feel really old now. I probably saw the movie when I was like seven or eight. <laughs> Did not understand it. I was like, this is cool. Did stuff you see the movie play. before or after meeting John Travolta? Before. And so when I was nine, <laughs> he was the judge of a dance. He was like the adjudicator of a dance competition I did. And we won. <laughs> so he gave us the awards. I got you were, Danny Zuko. You were literally bringing the same air as Danny Zuko. Yeah. We were awarded by Danny Zuko, adorned mm-hmm. by Zuko himself. Adorned, Zuko adorned. Himself. Yeah, those hips came up to me. <laughs> Saturday Night Live hips. Love it. So that was exciting. And then I played Jan mm-hmm. at the Oslo Little Theater. And then I played Jan again in high school. <laughs> you got to sing Zuni Adam played Kaniki. <laughs> And he was like, his last name was Adam Smith. We were supposed to get married because we're Adam and Autumn Smith. You see how that works. A.A. Smith. Anyway, he was not a Kinnicky. And I wanted to roll him for the role. Because every other male part in high school, but I couldn't, they wouldn't give me (laughs) Kinnicky. They made you a tree. They made you a dancing bear, but they wouldn't. No, they made me like the male lead, the male lead. (laughs) You are going to play the defendant in trial by jury. You're the only one who can sing this male role, but not Kenneke. And yes, I played a dancing bear in Carousel. So just so you know, I played everything except Kenneke. Except Kenneke. They won't won't put you in that grease lightning mobile. Nope. 
I mean, I know what that song is about now, so I could sell the shit out of it. That's right. There's a lot of euphemisms in that song. Yeah. That all get parried out when you when, when you do it in high school. <laughs> yeah, it's just about a car now. It's actually, <laughs> we're talking about the capacitor and the rear wheels. Yeah. There's no innuendo. No innuendo. Zero. 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 Mrs. Robinson wouldn't have it. No. No. There you mm. go. Mm-hmm. Chris Lightning. Yeah, those are good first impressions, everybody. I know, I know. All three of us have done the show. We all know it. So amazing. Bada bing, bada boom. All bada. right. Okay. okay. All right. So now that we've given all our experiences with the show and talked about why I chose the musical and in all the interest stuff, we got to say this musical has proven to be very popular among our community. And several of our community members and our social network reached out and said, We can't join you for the episode. But we send in some thoughts about mm-hmm. the piece. Okay. Yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, I like so, it. So first off, we have our friend and guest host from our Avenue Q episode, Miss Jillian Robinson. Here's her thought. Oh, yeah. Hopelessly devoted to Grease Lightning. Go Grease Lightning. Born to hand job, baby. Okay. Hello, you two. When Mackenzie told me to talk a little bit about Grease, I got super excited. This is the first movie musical that I was probably exposed to as a kid. Five-year-old Jill loved to just get up and dance around to this bop. Love me some John Travolta. Had the biggest little kid crush on him. Yeah, I just think the movie was stunning. Unfortunately, I've only ever seen the production once. It was my high school did it. A couple years after I graduated, I went back to to see it. And it was also amazing as well. This show has so much pizzazz and so much energy. Yeah, I would love to be a part of this show. My favorite song, uh, honestly, like this is a musical that I have like a handful of favorites. But if I were to pick one that has stuck with me and that I really enjoyed getting up and dancing to as a kid is Born to Hand Jive. Yeah, I just love the pace of it. I've actually taught a little bit of a hand jive to my little baby nephew when I was uh, nannying him in the last couple of years. And that was super fun too. This is the one of the first kind of cast albums I owned as well. So back in the day when we had CD players, I would uh, pop it in and, and listen to it from top to bottom. Yeah, I think it's really good. There's probably some sections that are a little bit maybe dated, or I think maybe we just have to be staged with more awareness in mind, I guess. But honestly, at the end of the day, it's a high school, a group of high school friends, right? It's, you know, love, summer love, bullying, right? I remember I loved the look at me in Sandra D scene because I thought it was super cool. A bunch of gals getting together for a sleepover. This is like right before I was sleepover age. 
So I was looking forward to that. But, you know, looking back at it as I got older too, I'm like, oh, they're not really being nice to Sandy in that. So it was kind of a learning thing there. When Frenchie goes to beauty school, that whole scene was phenomenal. I I loved the, again, the costumes were stunning. Yeah, there's really not a bad thing I can say about this musical. And I would love, yeah, I would love to be a part of it. I would love to see it. Yeah, Greece, Greece is the word. Greece is the word. That's all I'm going to say for now. Bye, you two. Time is a place. It's the motion. Yeah, Greece is the word. And yeah, I'm sure there are some some problematic elements of this show that could definitely be reviewed. And I mean, we will definitely get into the song, Look at Me, I'm Sandra Dee, because there's lots to discuss in that. I'm just you wait. You're just, oh, Jill, you're hilarious. We love you, Jill. You're the bestest. The bestest. Kill me. I'll cast Sandra D. I could see her as as like a Marty or a Jen or a Frenchie more than a Sandra. Yeah, I guess. She'd also be a good Rizzo. Yeah, I could see her as a Rizzo. Rizzo can be blonde. Yeah. Rizzo can be blonde. I mean, Sandy was originally a brunette when Carol Demas did it. So. It, w- it wasn't until Olivia Newton-John was brought her blonde hair into that that they dubbed her as the blonde Sandra E. So there the you blonde go. Bob. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then our other contributor to this section is one of, is the one and only Stu from The Sounds of Broadway. He has a really cool connection to this piece. So you'll Thanks. definitely want to check this out. Yes. Greece was the very first show that I saw by myself going into New York. I was a high school freshman, so I was 14 or 15, went with a friend of mine, and we went because he came to me one day with a coupon for a show called Twigs, and the coupon was a twofer. And back in the 60s and 70s, maybe the 80s, you had these coupons that would be in public places or educational centers, churches. Uh, community centers, and you would take these twofers to the box office and you would buy two tickets for the price of one. So shows that maybe were starting out were on their last legs. You didn't have the hit shows for twofers. So this was for a show called Twigs. I knew nothing about the show. My friend said it was a comedy. I said, okay, sure, let's go. So we went into New York. We took the bus from central New Jersey to the Port Authority. I am still amazed after all these decades that my parents let me go into New York when I was that young because this was the New York of the Triple X Times Square. This was not the Disneyfied Times Square. This was 1972, and New York was a very different place than it is today. And I remember putting a $5 bill in the bottom of my shoe so in case I was mugged, at least I had money to get back home. So we went to the box office for Twigs. And as we walked up, it was dark and we got right to the box office and there was a piece of paper stuck to the window and it said, Twigs has closed for its national tour, refunds, blah, blah, blah. I turned to my friend and I felt like throttling him because he dragged me to New York to see a show that was closed. So he's like, "Eh, don't worry, we'll just go look for something else. Now, this was not at the time of the half price ticket booth. So you had to go to the box office and pay for a ticket or if you had a twofer for a show. So we're walking around the theater district looking at the marquees and there was a show called Sugar 
And that starred Robert Morris, who unfortunately just passed away the other day, and Tony Roberts. And it was a musical based on the movie, Some Like It Hot. And I said, oh, let's go see that. And he's like, "Eh, I don't want to see that. Let's go to this one. And he's pointing to this show. And I'm like, I have no desire to see it. And he was whining and said, okay, fine. We'll go see your show. So we went to the box office, paid full price for a Saturday matinee orchestra ticket. It was less than $7. And the show was Grease. And it was the funniest, most tuneful show. Even to this day, it is one of my all-time favorite shows. This was the original, so there was no movie at that time. Years later, I went back and it was one of the worst shows because they all were trying to do John Travolta imitations. But back then, it was at its raunchiest best. And it was a hoot. And because of that... My friend and I would go back every so often to New York to see another show with a twofer. Sometimes we would just go to the box office. We saw some great shows. We saw some shows that we just scratched our heads, but that's what got me interested into the theater. In that original production of Grease, you had Barry Botswick as Danny Zuko. Adrian Barbeau was in the original, but she had left after that time. She wasn't in it that long. You had Alan Paul was the teen angel, and he went on to later form the Manhattan Transfer. So you had a lot of great people in that show. Every song in Greece is one of my favorites. But I think the song that I really like the best is the opening. That's the alma mater parody. And it really just sets the mood for the show. Unfortunately, that song is not in most productions nowadays because the show will start off with Grease is the Word from the movie. And they've taken out some of the better songs from the musical because they want to put in the movie songs because they feel that's what people want to see when they're going to see a theatrical production of Grease. So the opening number is usually left off. Uh, was Alone in a Drive-In Movie is usually omitted from the score. But again, I guess my favorite is the opening, the alma mater, alma mater parody. Wonderful. Those are great choices, Stu. I mean, I remember we did Grease in high school when we were opening the books. And sure enough, the first songs in there are alma mater and the alma mater reprise. And we all looked at each other and went, what the hell is this? What is this song? And it's great. I love, I mean, I will tell you now, it didn't make my top three, but definitely sets the tone for who these greasers are, the pink ladies, because you have this very austere, as we go traveling down life's highway, right? It's all that very 
you know, little dear-old she is, and then you got these knuckleheads who come in with the with the talking about, like, you'll get crabs, and you're in your boil your underwear. It's great. Like, that kind of just captures that in the energy. I mean, what a story to go into New York at 14 years old. The twofer. Bring back the twofer. Bring back the one ticket. It costs about three hundred dollars. Indeed. So uh, you know, yeah. I'm just saying, friends. You know, I love live theater, but I'd like to go see it every once in a while too. Exactly. exactly. But yeah, no. Thank you so much, Stu. Be sure to check out thesoundsofbroadway.com, where listeners every night there is an all request show from eight p.m. to ten p.m. EST. People can simply go on the website and click the link to request a song, and then they can search for any show. There are over 650, but you can also select songs from the original Broadway cast of Grease. So, yes. There you, you go. You can listen to the alma mater songs. It's true. It is there. You can request uh, it. If you don't know what we're talking about. Check it out. If your high school did not, if your was the only high school on the face of the planet that did not do grades, you too can find out what we're talking about. Check it out. But yeah, there we go. All right, so now we've done our experiences. We've given our wonderful guest uh, audio people their chance to come in and talk about their stuff. Autumn, Brody, what do you say we get into some plot descriptions? Let's do it. I'm sure everybody knows the plot of Greece if they've seen the movie. But mind you, it is slightly different. There is it, extra just slightly, there. just slightly. 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 I mean, the main plot points are there. Yes, but. the main plot points are there. Just some songs and characters. Are we'll get into that production. You know what? It's the word. So Greece is the word. Greece is the word. It's a time right. emotion. <laughs> Devotion, all that good stuff. Okay. No. So plot description-wise, the musical is set in 1959 at the fictional Rydell High School, and it follows the exploits of Danny, a local greaser, and Sandy, the stereotypical good girl, new girl, next door type. We have had a summer fling together and believed it was just that until on the first day of school, they discover that they are attending the same school. So surprise! Surprise! Right? Sandy is overjoyed and wants to resume the romance they built over the summer, but Danny is reluctant as the soft romantic side he presented to Sandy over the summer goes against his cool guy reputation. Yeah, he's he, gotta look cool to the guys. Right? Man. Exactly. You know, oh, I mean, let's set up that stereotype. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, Sandy is hurt by Danny's cold response to her. And then the musical unravels from there. So together, Sandy and Danny and their friends and have to work together to navigate the complexities of peer pressure, politics, personal core values, and love. The musical accumulates with Danny joining the track team in order to impress Sandy, while Sandy ditches the good girl next door look and rebrands her appearance to be raunchier and sexier to appeal to Danny and his social group style and image. Okay, and there that um, that was the plot description. Was that a perfect elevator pitch? It was great. It right? Was so short and sweet. Brody, what Way shorter think? than our other ones we've done. <laughs> lightning fast. Grease lightning, lightning fast. Grease lightning fast. Exactly, exactly. So Autumn, give us the creative team because we got a whole new team, I believe. Except for one person. Oh, who's the holdover? Mm, you'll see. 
Okay, I missed this one. I was brushing up on my notes. Wow, wow. I think we might have missed this person in the first time around, but now I've caught it, which is exciting. So we have a kind of combo deal of Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey, composer and lyricist. I'll start with Jim Jacobs, JJ. Born in 1942, he was an actor, composer, lyricist. Well, he is, he's still alive. Writer for theater and very long association with the Chicago theater scene. Of course, they're both most well known for this particular musical, So I'm not really going to go into that. In 1963, he became involved in a local theater group, which included Warren Casey. So that's important to note that is where they met. The Chicago Playwright Center. At the time, it was also called the Hull House Playwright Center. Hull House Playwright Center. Run by artistic director Robert Sickinger. For the next five years, he appeared in more than 50 theatrical productions in the Chicago area working with such people as the Second City founder, Paul Sills, while earning a living as an advertising copywriter. I love how so many of our people like do different things in marketing and advertising. He also landed a small role in the 1969 film, Medium Cool. Obviously a launching point for Grace. Jacob's Broadway acting debut was in 1970 revival of No Place to Be Somebody. And he went on and did a national tour. And really, that's all I know about JJ, Jim Jacobs. All right, JJ. Warren Casey, born 1935, died in 1988. So he is no longer with us. American composer, lyricist, writer, actor, of course, known for this. Casey's acting credits include the original production of David Mamet's Sexual Perversity in Chicago. So he was in the original production of that. Under Stuart Gordon's direction, Casey created the role of foul-mouthed, self-styled makeout artist Bernie Litko, delivering a comically outrageous performance tinged with pathos. In that, um, he wrote "Island of Lost Coeds" with Jim Jacobs. These two were on a roll. <laughs> they, had a, they had a theme, which was kind of concerning. Yeah, <laughs> it was produced at Columbia. College Chicago under the direction of Sheldon Patinkin. I don't think he's related to Mandy. He also contributed the incidental music to Twelfth Night in 1976, to June Moon in 1977. Fun fact, are you ready? I'm ready. In addition, Casey worked in the musical Cats. That's all it said. (laughs) There's no... Well, what did, was he stagehand number five? Was he fur bearer number You was Buster Jones. I, I, I don't remember him in all of our many cats conversations. I know. So anyway, boom, boom, boom. Next, we have our director, Tom Moore. An American theater, television, and film director, hailing from uh, Meridian, Mississippi. He graduated from West Lafayette High School. I tried really hard to bring in that. The Southern Twang. Didn't work. He went to Purdue University, and he began his career in the late 60s, directing Loot by Joe Orton at Brandeis University. And get ready for this. Oh, what a lovely war. 
at the State University ah. of New York at Buffalo. Sarah's in a main after oh, her own heart there. Right there, sweet. right there. Tom Moore, we like him. His first major break came in 72 when he directed the original Broadway production of Greece. Greece. Um, his next project was a World War II musical, go figure, Absolutely. called Over There. And it, wow, it featured Maxine Patty Andrews and newcomers John Travolta, Mary Lou Henner, Treat Williams, and Anne Ranking. Uh-huh. How cool is that? He got some newcomers. Good. Moore was nominated for a 1974 Tony Award for Best Direction of a Musical. Additionally, he did the 1978 revival of Once in a Lifetime, a disastrous 1981 adaption of Frankenstein. It closed after one performance. I love those ones. One performance. One hit wonder. And the Pulitzer Prize winning drama Night Mother, written by a friend of our podcast, Marcia Norman, who Mm. wrote Secret Garden. He received a Tony Nom and the award for Best Direction of a Play. And oh, no, he got a nomination. Sorry, not the award. No, he's done feature films in turn, uh, including Return to Boggy Creek, the adaptation of Night Mother, and so many different episodes of TV, L.A. Law, 30-something, Sybil, Dharma and Greg, Felicity. He has been nominated for the Emmy for Outstanding Directions of a Drama Series for L.A. Law and for Mad About You. Good for him. The choreographer of said Grease musical, Patricia Birch, is an American dancer, choreographer, film director, and theater director. Yeah, I know. And like, she, it's huge. She's done so much. Film and TV, The Electric Company. You have no idea what that is, but I no. certainly do. <laughs> the Wild Party, A Little Night Music, Grease 2. Sleeping with the Enemy, First Wives Club. Oh, I know that one. Yes. Stepford Wives, 2004 mm-hmm. version. Um, all credits as a choreographer include stage productions. She was in the 1960 Broadway production of West Side Story. She did The Me Nobody Knows, which is a play that I directed many moons ago. <laughs> Lovely. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. Reese, they're playing our song with. Playing our song. Playing our song. Arnez. That's Just right. bringing them all back. I know. And it's then. Good, it's, a good, it's a good season finale fitting episode. I really am. I'm back to all these other episodes. And the tie in that I was speaking of earlier is that she was the choreographer of Parade. Oh! Yeah. And we didn't mention her. All right, and then I'm going to wrap us out in this section with some really fun production history, because, you know, that's what we do here. And, I mean, Autumn Brody, I will say, will be very thankful. The book about the creation of Greece does not come out till the end of June. So this is a much shorter version. This is not the five-hour, six-page condensed version of a 200-page book. So you're welcome. But there's still a lot of good stuff in here, so let's get into it. Let's do it. The abridged credits. <laughs> the bridge credited version exactly lots of footnotes 
<clears throat> so, the inception of the show began in 1969 when Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey were partying together, and Jacobs proposed they write a rock and roll musical centered around the people Jacobs had gone to high school with. The name Grease came from Jacobs and Casey's observations of the 1950s, where the hairstyles were greasy, the food was greasy, and because many teenage boys often had grease on their hands because they were constantly working on their cars, they then went with the name Grease. It's the word. It is the word. Uh, The first scene Casey tackled was the Pink Lady slumber party scene with the song Freddy My Love. Freddy My Love, Freddy My Love, Freddy My Love, Freddy My Love, don't keep your legs. off the song Eddie My Love by Teen Queens. <clears throat> Once Jacobs learned of Casey's work, he then set about crafting character names and doing a rough draft of song concepts based on elements of the 1950s from drive-in movies, hamburger joints, a rumble, pajama parties, tattoos, etc. Mm-hmm. The moment when Jacobs knew the show was working was when he took the slumber party scene into a high school drama class as he was supply teaching, and he had the female students play the scene out, and the class really connected with the work. Jacobs was so excited after seeing the scene work, he called Casey and said, Warren, we have a play. We have a fucking play. <laughs> Whoa! I know. Drop the F-bomb. I love it's a quote. That. We can do that. Uh, yeah. The writing process continued, and then in the summer of 1971, a community theater production of Greece was mounted, mounted at Chicago's Kingston Mine Theater, with writers Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey being part of the ensemble, ensemble to build the cast and the stage. The set consisted of simple backdrops painted on brown paper, and at the time, the show had far less plot and no central characters. Instead, Sandy and Danny were merely ensemble characters and not the central focus of the show. The musical was roughly 70% book and 30% music. But it did have some of the infectious tunes we know, like Priest Lightning, Beauty School Dropout, those magic changes, and we go together. And a solo for Patty Simcox called Yuck was part of this iteration of the show, but was later cut when the show moved to New York. The Kingston Mines Theater sat 90 people who had to sit on newspaper, and two of the audience members were Broadway producer Ken Wiseman and his wife Susie. Wiseman was at the time looking for a new show to produce, and so Wiseman and his wife had gone to see the show due to the recommendation of Wiseman's high school friend, Philip. Wiseman described this version of the show bringing back many of his own high school memories. Following Wiseman's viewing, he met with Jacobs and Casey, and he expressed his enthusiasm for the piece. He made the pitch that they could come to New York, work on developing the book and the characters, and doing more cohesive piece and he and his partner would produce the work. So there you go. Hmm. Uh, once the agreement was made, the producers set about finding the production team. One agent tried to sell them on hiring a bright young director choreographer, Michael Bennett, who we all know for what, Autumn? One singular sensation. That's right. Course line. But they didn't think he was right for Greece. They no. asked Gerald Friedman to direct since he had helmed the original off-Broadway production of 
pair. But yeah. Friedman turned them down without reading the script. They then finally settled on director Tom Moore and choreographer Patricia Birch. Due to their work on the show The Me Nobody Knows, where they created an interesting and real staging depicting the life of homeless kids. That's right. Bert was known for his ability to get realistic performances that were so realistic that audiences didn't believe they were watching actors. This yep. was key for Wiseman and his partner Maxine Fox, as they were focused on not having a cotton candy musical. But Wiseman and Fox did want to ensure their show was bankable. So when Jacobs and Casey made it to New York, they were instructed to make the characters more lovable instead of the rougher versions they had presented in Chicago. Mm. While skeptical at first of these directions, Jacobs and Casey never resisted any of these changes. And ultimately, during this rewriting process, the show went from about three quarters book and one quarter music to one quarter book, three quarters music. So it flipped itself. Good. When developing the Burger Palace Boys, Jacobs used the names and personalities of his friends he went to high school with. While the Pink Ladies were based on a real girl gang that were, at, that were at Jacobs High School from 1954 to 1962, but all the girls' names were created by Jacobs. So there's a fun fact for you. Hmm. Uh, when it came to finding their venue, Wiseman and Fox did not want to open right on Broadway, as they felt the show was not for the typical Broadway audience, but instead for the demographic of people in their late 20s and early 30s who would have grown up in the late 1950s when the show was set. So they turned to Off-Broadway to get things started. However, with a cast of 16, the production was too big to economically work in a regular Off-Broadway house. So they then looked at the Eden Theater, which was where Once Upon a Mattress and Nana La Mancha uh, had played prior to moving to Broadway. Why did folks like the space? Because it was a Broadway-sized house was classified as Off-Broadway, establishment meaning they could use off-Broadway rates, which helped them in their production budget. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With the venue and creative team in place, Wiseman and Fox raised the production funds in just under two months, which is pretty good, wow. considering. When it came to casting, more focus on hiring actors first, then singers, then dancers. This choice would result in the cast capturing the raw, pure, untrained, authentic sound of the 1950s rock and roll music. Love that. Uh, in total, Fox estimates the audition close to 2,000 young artists to fill the 16 available roles. In the end of the audition process, only one of the original Chicago cast members, James Tang, sorry, James was hired as part of the as, was hired as part of the New York cast as Judy. Judy, with, yes. Judy. With the cast and venue set, rehearsals began and only lasted for three weeks to keep it from looking too polished. Mm. Greece opened then off-Broadway at the Eden Theater on Valentine's Day, 1972, with the cast including Barry Boswick as Danny, Cal yes. Demas as Sandy, Adrian Barbeau as Rizzo, and we know her from where, Autumn? <sighs> and then there's Maude. And then there's Maude. She's the daughter of Maude. Oh, no, really? Yeah, that, yeah that's Maude's daughter. Oh. Adrian Barbeau. Timothy Myers as Nikki, Mm -hmm. Jim Broly as Sonny, Walter Bobby, who will go on to direct the popular revival of Chicago as Roger, Myra Small as Frenchie, Kate, sorry, Katie Henley as Marty, 
Garn Stevens as Jan, Alan Paul as Teen Angel slash Johnny Casino, and Eileen Kristen as Patty Simpons. Mm. Amazing. Right? A lot of young people there that went on had some really good careers. Yeah. Barry Boswick. What else is he known for, Mackenzie Horner? Damn it. Janet. I love, I love you. Rocky Horror. That's right. Yes. Huh. Susan Brandon. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Barry Boswick. Barry Boswick. I, he says a great name to say. Barry Boswick. I also met Barry Boswick when I was like 10. Did you really? I was, yeah, I did. I was doing extra work. Actually, no, I was probably more like 11. My whole family was doing extra work just for fun. Of course, that's what you do. Of course, that's a Smith thing. And he was starring as the father to Valerie Bertinelli. And we were attending Valerie Bertinelli's wedding. (laughs) There's a name for you right there too. Oh yeah, so cheesy. So cheesy, Mm -hmm. it was great. So yeah, I'm very boss-like. He seems like a really nice guy when you when probably if you see him. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. So while well, the cast was great, I mean, had a lot of people who went on to have very good careers. Mm-hmm. Show received mixed to negative reviews. One television reviewer said, "The worst thing I've ever seen open tonight at the Eden Theater." <laughs> the show ran for 128 performances, and due to the venue being classified as a Broadway theater, the show received seven Tony nominations, including Best Musical, Best Book. Best Choreography, Best Costume, Best Performance by Lead Actor for Barry Boswick, Best Performance by a Featured Actor for Timothy Myers, Best Performance by a Featured Actress for Adrian Barbeau. The musical didn't win any awards, but it didn't deter the show. In June of 1972, the musical moved to the Broadhurst Theater. And then on November 21st, it moved to the Royal Theater, where it ran until January 27th, 1980. For the final five weeks of the original run of the show, the show moved to the larger Majestic Theater home to what, Autumn? Da, 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 da. Phantom of the Opera. That's right. Uh, the show's original production closed on April 13, 1980, with a total of 3,388 performances and paid back its investors 4,000%. Wow! So oh, to be an investor on that little nugget, eh? I know, right? Jeez. So Jeez. notable original production cast replacements include Jeff Conway, later known for his role in the TV show Taxi. Peter Gallagher and Patrick Swayze all played Danny. Mm-hmm. Richard Gere was Sonny. Mm-hmm. Mary Lou Henner as Marty. Judy Kay as Rizzo. Mm-hmm. And John Travolta as Judy. Hilarious. And Rosie O'Donnell later on. We haven't gone to her yet. Oh, sorry. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're getting to her. For the original Western production, Grease made its debut in the New London Theater on June 26, 1973, with a cast that included Richard Gere, now as Danny, Stacey Gregg as Sandy, and then later Paul Nicholas and Ellen Page took over as the leads of that show. The production closed on February the 14th, 1974. Then, in 1994, the year of my birth, as well as Brody's, the Broadway revival was mounted and was notable for the number of celebrities the production had come in to take short runs at the show. The revival premiered on May the 11th, 1994 at the Eugene O'Neill Theater 
with the opening night cast including Ricky Paul Goldstein as Danny, Susan Wood as Sandy, Rosie O'Donnell as Rizzo. Can't see her as Rizzo. I love Rosie. Apparently she was very good. Okay. Yeah. She can sing too. Like Rosie O'Donnell can sing. She yeah, yeah, she can sing. And don't forget, this is like this is what, twenty twenty five years ago? Yeah. Well, no, 28 years ago. 20. Are you 28 now? I'm 28. I'm old on him. You know that. I'm almost 30. I guess that makes sense, though. Oh, my God. I feel so old now. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. I remember watching her, like, do some stuff on the Tony Awards around this time. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Way to go. I mean, she she was still older to play that role, but. Yeah. (laughs) They all were. I mean, you have Sam Harris as Judy, Hunter Foster, brother of who? Sutton Foster and star of You're in Town. That's right. Another tieback to another episode we've done. I mean, all these tiebacks to previous episodes. All all of the things. I know. I love it. He played Roger. And then Megan Mullally, before Will and Grace, played Marty. And future Tony winner and icon himself, Billy Porter played teen angel god bless him yeah notable celebrity replacements include linda blair funny that we're bringing this up last five years in the last yeah. five years she has a line in climbing uphill where she goes oh my god i just auditioned for people to cast linda blair in a musical how <laughs> stupid is this and I'm like, oh, that's the stupidest line because no one would cast linda blair in a musical but they did. and now you're telling me this and that is a Chase and Robert Brown, massive shouts to you, my friend. That yeah, you're so smart. So you have Linda Blair, Chubby Checker, Debbie Gibson, Joe Pescopo. Pescopo? Yeah, Debbie Gibson took over for Sandy. Yeah. 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 And then you have Brooke Shields in there, too. Who? Brooke Shields? Yeah. As Sandy? She was a Rizzo. Yeah, I remember that, too. I remember these cast changes now. Yeah. It was very notable that all that like the show ran for so long that they just kept hearing all these celebrities to do great. And now we have a splash with Brooke Shields. Exactly. Was she in that? No, that was Daryl Hannah. Daryl now Hannah. it's a perfect ten with Brooke Shields. That was Brooke Shields. Wasn't it? I don't even yes, remember. I don't know. Brooke Shields. Uh, oh, yeah. But yeah, the production closed after running one thousand five hundred and five performances. Ridiculous. So, a good run for that show and i mean i listened to that album and i gotta say it's the weirdest sounding album because they re-orchestrated everything and rewritten the music so you're like this doesn't sound like it should i think they're doing a lot of riffing akina mitzah will be proud (laughs) all right almost done with the note i'm down to the last two paragraphs another broadway revival was mounted in 2007 directed and choreographed by kathleen marshall related to rob marshall who directed yeah. Chicago, so there's a six degrees of another episode. This yeah. revival was notable as the leads of Sini and Danny were chosen through the NBC reality series, Grease, You're the One That I Want, where oh. TV audiences voted for Max Crum and Laura Osnes as the winners. This production opened at the Brooks Atkins Theater on August the 19th, 2007, and then the production ended on June 4th, 2009, after 31 previews and 550 performances so the recession hit and probably shut it down i would assume that's what happened to that one so many 
performances of this thing. I know. So now we get to what's something everybody knows, which is the film. So in 1978, the Robert Stakewood organization adapted Grease into a feature film directed by Randall Kelser? I think. Sure. Randall Kelser. The film memorably starred John Travolta, who had played Judy on Broadway and in the national tour as Danny Zuko, while English-Australian country pop singer Olivia Newton-John was cast as Sandy. To accommodate Newton-John's casting, the character's nationality was rewritten, and parts of the score were replaced to better highlight Newton-John's vocals. You know what? Let's get physical. Yep, exactly. You get that? Yeah, you get physical. That? Physical. Absolutely. Xanadu. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love me some Olivia Newton-John. She's, she's an icon, man. Oh, so she good. She was Kylie Minogue before Kylie Minogue was even born. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Love her. Mm-hmm. So, like the film version of Cabaret, where plot elements and songs were removed and changed, several key changes were made to the plot of the musical Grease, including changing the name of the Greasers gang from the Burger Palace Boys to the T-Birds, to cutting many of the supporting characters' songs, adding on-screen roles for characters unseen in the stage version, like the gym teacher, Coach Vince Calhoun, played by Sid Caesar, and Mrs. Murdoch, auto shop teacher, played by Alice Ghostly. Mm. The film proved to be a major success for both Stakewood and Paramount Pictures, Due to the popularity of the film adaptation, subsequent stage revivals have adopted several of the changes made in the film, particularly the replacement of several songs, including You're the One That I Want Now being the finale song of the show, and the renaming of the Burger Palace Boys to their film name, The T-Birds. Mm-hmm. On January 31st, 2016, in the wake of the similar productions that NBC had performed for other musicals, Fox broadcast a live production of Grease, known as Grease Live, as a television special starring Julianne Huff as Sandy, Aaron Tibet as Danny, and Vanessa Hudgens as Rizzo. It actually is quite good. I actually did enjoy this more than the other ones. And with that production history out of the way, let's get into our top three songs. So, Brody, as our honored guest, our Danny Zuko, what is your number one song of this show? Number one song? Mm-hmm. I had a really hard time picking between two of them, but I, I think I'm going to pick Beauty School Dropout. That was my number two. Beauty School Dropout No graduation day for you Beauty School Dropout Missed your midterms and flung shampoo Well, at least you could have taken time to wash and clean close up after spending all that dough to have the doctor fix your nose up baby get moving why keep your feeble hopes alive what are you proving you got the dream but not the drive if you go for your diploma you can join us stand or pull turn in your teasing comb and go back to high school you have it too, Autumn? Yeah, I do. Oh, okay, so we got one. <laughs> right off the top, all three of us. Brody, okay, take it away. You get to lead us in with your thoughts on this. It's, I think Beauty School Dropout is like the best of, of what Greece is. It <laughs> is 
It's got plot and and a little bit of drama, like high school drama, and mm-hmm. you know the narratives there. But it's also like almost sickly sweet. It's just dripping with like over the top kind of energy. It's a bit like the doo-wop background vocals. <laughs> it is. It's so. It's such an absurd moment every time you see it. It's kind of hard for it. It's a show stealing moment. You know that very personally. I do. I do. Having done it and get, getting getting the spotlight thrown on you when you're just standing there, everybody's like. Oh, it's this moment now. Yeah, it's. <laughs> it comes oh, the from angels. Left fields, though, like it's yes. so stupid. Yes, and but it yet, works. It works because it's so. It's drag. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, a, it's one of the first examples of drag mm-hmm. in a musical. Yes, it's over the top camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, and he gets away like. In a way, you know, in a in a way, it Teen Angel is kind of like this gay character, right? Oh yeah, well he's that got the they get everything. away with. Mm-hmm. They get away with in 1972, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, and they totally me. glamorize too, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's OTT, but it's got the best of like glam rock and like mm-hmm. 1950s, you know. Not Rick Astley. Oh, what's his name? Nelson kind of vibes. Mm-hmm. But it's bigger than that. And, mm-hmm. you know, angel wings. And mm-hmm. that's fabulous. And yeah. he's a hairstylist. So you yes. got a little Jonathan Venice in there. Mm-hmm. Which is lovely. Yeah, You know? Yeah. And I mean, for me, I go, well, first of all, because I sang this song, it was obviously going to make my list. But I mean, it's just, it's funny because this is Frenchie's guardian angel, but she's concocted someone who is repeatedly mocking her saying that like not even a hooker would go to like your beauty salon like you're terrible go back to to go back to high school but it also is sad because it also displays how Frenchy the character is searching for a parental figure to give her some guidance and tell her the hard truths that she probably is not getting at home I mean she's a high school dropout who goes to beauty school then drops out of beauty school so she's looking for someone to say, you failed. Go back to high school. Like, get smart. And it's and that's what this teen angel figure is. He's giving her the hard truth, where it's like turning your teeth and combs and go back to high school. Like, it's her it, inner voice. It's her inner voice. It, it, it's her thing that it's not a parental me. figure. It's an, her inner voice. It's what she knows she should be doing, mm-hmm. but rebels against that. Exactly. Because she's a teenager. Yes. And on top of that, this is like a soliloquy song, but it's not because it's a character soliloquy sung to her by somebody else. So it's like a third weird Six yeah. Degrees of Kevin Bacon soliloquy song. It's a meta moment. It's a very meta moment. And I mean, yeah. rhythmically, the because it's a 6-8 time period, so it's the Bum, ba-da-dum, ba-da. It's it's the drilling. It's the go back to high school. Like it's this drilling, beating the the message in of like, do you get it, Frenchie? Come on, pick it up. Like let's go. Like it's great, and, and it comes perfectly in the middle of Act Two, and you need a bit of that energy pickup to get yeah. you to the next part. Like, yeah. and the like fact it- that this is one of their first songs they came up with for the show, and was in it from the original Chicago production. All the way to Broadway. This was one of their first songs. It's like that's great. Brilliant. Yeah, it's a great song. 
It's yeah, so good. It's I think so it's good. like a, also one of those fundamental moments that helps the whole production to not feel like it's taking itself too seriously. I think yes. if you took out a few key songs and scenes, then mm-hmm. you might end up with something that's kind of, you know, less of a cartoonish portrayal of the high school experience. Yes. And it's one of those, like, like Adam said, it, it's camp, right? It, it's, it's glorious. Camp. I mean, the fact that in the original production, Brody will appreciate this since I did this in Copacabana, but Teen Angel is described as swinging in on a white rope. And then he swings out again at the end of the song. Like, it's like Tarzan camp. Like, it's like, how much campier can you get with this piece than, like, you have Frankie Avalon in the movie of all people in his white cardigan. Like, just, you know... See, if I were to do this, I would cast someone like Iggy Pop. Mm. Oh. Like, totally subvert and go glam rock with it. See, I would go the opposite and, way. I would go for but, like, somebody like Mr. Rogers and, like, his white cardigan. <laughs> like, like, just somebody so weirdly old and parental, but it's like, <coughs> this is your internal voice, this old neighborly man. No, you need someone that matches her personality who's probably also dropout to be talking sense to her because that subverts what we think right angel should look like true well i was gonna suggest seal so i just because i want to hear seal's voice singing beauty school dropout i want coldplay to do beauty school dropout (laughs) seal he is fire isn't that his song seal in the hallway yes Yes. yeah Oh my god, that'd be brilliant. Okay, we're fan casting this. I love this. Is he still around? Yeah, know. yes, he's still alive. Well, I know he's alive, but is he, still, <laughs> is he musically alive? That's another question. Good question. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, Phil Collins like just Michael came out of retirement and went back into retirement. So Michael Bolton the same would be a good. Oh, Michael Bolton. That's a that great one, right? Autumn, what's your number one? I have to go with "We Go Together." That made my like, list. Ramalamalama, da ding da da ding da dong. It's so stupid, but it's yeah. catchy, and I sing it all the time. We go together. Yeah, no, that made my other list. And it, it makes kind of, list for me, it pairs in my mind with hand jive. Like those yeah, two well, he, hand jive makes Whoa, sense. You're triggering some crazy hand jive instructional memories with that comment. I'm being sent back to the high school dance class being told that I wasn't jiving my hands enough. <laughs> I know. It's true. But it's Bernie only had to go in for an extra lunch period of extra hand jive rehearsals because we weren't getting we were center stage. So Miss Marion was like, Mac, Brody, you gotta come in and we gotta Your hands aren't jiving stuff. enough, boys. <laughs> gotta jive some more, boys. Let's go, let's go. Oh boy, that's sad, friends. <laughs> The song's on neither one of my lists. Okay, that's okay. That's okay. There's no judgment. I just love it because I sing it all the time and it's stupid and it reminds me of those 1950s ridiculous, like 
yellow polka dot bikini. You're like, what does this mean? Yeah. We're all incredibly high. Yeah. That's what this reminds me of. You were probably were high when they wrote it. High on multiple different kinds of hallucinogens (laughs) to write this. Smoking that way in the land of ding dong. And yeah, farmer flows us all the way. Walk to do do. Who can come up with that? Like not I. I don't know. So I'm going with that. <laughs> yeah, for me, that. it made my other list because this song is such a weird note to end the first act on, where you've just had a big fight between Sandy and Danny and Rizzo and Kaniki. So the two main couples are broken up at this point, and then all of a sudden, you're, everything's on the rocks, and then you end it with this gibberish song that's a total like 180 from what just happened tonally earlier in the scene. And it's this forced happy ending. And I remember doing it. And I never did it right. Where it's like you, the dramatic leaps you have to do dramaturgically to get your character to be skipping off at the end. And you're like, if you approach it through almost like it's combative. Whoa. Combative way in the land of ding-dongs? <laughs> combative. Damn, that's intense. It's kind of like a rumble. Do up, do be do. No, don't be ridiculous. Shut up! But it can be if you add that intention. True. Be interesting. I mean, go, Mrs. Robinson. Next time. Yes. Touche. 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 But yeah, no, that's the one song where I'm like, this just makes no sense where it is in the show, and it's just like. I mean, that's the one thing I liked with the 1994 productions. They moved it to the opening of the show and took out the alma mater, which is too bad because I do like the alma mater, but they moved this as the opening alma mater. They redid it as the alma mater of the school. And then they have Sandy sing a solo at the end of Act 1 when she's left alone by the gang. I was like, totally, that makes more dramaturgical sense than this. (laughs) But this was one of these early songs they kept going. Like, this was one of those early... Songs that everyone's like, yeah, we'll keep this from Chicago. I don't think we should look at this show dramaturgically. Because... <laughs> when we looked at Cats dramaturgically, we can look at Grease dramaturgically. Well, yeah, okay. But Cats is based on a series of magnificent poems by T.S. Eliot. Mm-hmm. So you can actually go through that and go, oh, okay. This is what he was thinking and isn't that smart that he referred to Cats that way. But this mm-hmm. is like... I wrote this for high school students who make no sense ever. <laughs> it's just a wash of hormones, ramalama, ding-a-dong, all over your ding-dong. You know what I'm I was just going to say, if Cats is based on a bunch of inspirational poems, Grease is based on a bunch of inspirational lewd sketches done on fast food napkins. Or in toilet That's songs. a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's a Grease show. How it's do you dramaturgically approach that? You just can't. You just <laughs> don't even try. Don't even try. Don't, just don't try. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so my number one is Summer Nights. Summer fling don't mean a thing But I call the summer night Just 
song that really kicks off the show and this must be on your lawn mowing list oh absolutely you better believe it's on my lawn mowing list that that and beauty school dropout both of them are on the lawn cutting list hilarious i love it yeah i mean it just it's a great it's so smart because it covers all the exposition you need it introduces sandy and danny while also it gives insights into the rest of the gang based on their questions and comments that they give to Sandy and Danny's stories. Like the fact that you have Kaniki saying, did she put up a fight clearly shows what type of guy he is, that that'd be what he would want. And that's why he's with Rizzo. Well, you have Sonny being like, hey, could you get me a friend? You know, I'm a bit of a whore dog myself, but I can't get the girl, you know, that type of thing. And then, and then you got, then you, I think it's Jan who says like, did he have a car? So it's, or no, it's Marty. Marty says that. Because once again, it shows that she's materialistic. Like that's her character. She's Freddie, my loving, materialistic all the way with her kimono. I so, I mean, that, that did she put up a fight line has aged questionably. I remember even <laughs> 10 years ago when we were doing this in high school, we were all like, whoa, we're just going <laughs> to say that? Miss Robinson said yes. Yeah. That was in the script. We could say that line, but not about the <laughs> dragon wagon. <laughs> I don't I don't think that would um happen today. That line. Yeah. That line I don't may think need, so either. Yeah, that line may need to be rewritten. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Man, it's a great, smart song where it's and I want song, particularly for the ending where it sets up Danny and Sandy's longing, true longing for one another, that clearly neither one of them are over their summer loving in those summer nights. Yeah, so it's an I want song, but it's a duet, and also it's a it's a group song. It's kind of like Bell in that same way of it's the community oh. coming out, giving their input on this too. Like it, it does yeah. a lot in the, in two minutes, which is a really lot. smart. And I mean, the song also captures how teenagers frame their experiences based on their peer groups. Danny's clearly talking up the sexual chemistry he had with him and Sandy, mm. while Sandy's focused on the softer, more romantic partnering she had with Danny. Like two very different perspectives of the same moments, all kind of showing how they view things. And then you got the backup vocals, which are kind of like a news press thing. It's kind of like the and we both reach for the gun, you know, from Chicago. Is that oh yes, oh yes? It's like tell me more, tell me. It's the same type of yeah. problem too, actually. Yeah, it's, it's kind of playing on Bye Bye Birdie. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point, Mac. As far as like, you know, using your time well, so to speak, mm-hmm. in the musical, that song yeah. might actually be most bang for your buck as far mm-hmm. as what it's giving you with the characters, sort yeah. of with everybody being involved. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It covers a lot of ground. News travels fast. It does. It does. And that's why they and that's why the pink ladies figure out who Danny is to Sandy. And that's why they set up the meet the, the meetup after the song. It's because mm-hmm. they go, oh, we know who this is. I mean, they're doing it kind of cruelly because they know Danny's not that to them anyway. So they're, let's see what happens. Let's see what sparks fly when we tee them back up together again. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, once again, it, it also just captures that first day back at school, post-summer holidays. Everybody's talking about what they did over the summer, their adventures. And there's always the one story from the one person in the friend group that really takes 
the the, the top headline of, of the summer where it's like, oh, Brody went to like Venezuela. Yeah. Brody never went to yeah. Venezuela over the summer. Danny, Danny got down in the sand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she saved the girl. Sand. Yeah. Exactly. They went bowling right. in the arcade. You know, that's Woo! a good party. Yeah. Did Summer Nights make any of your lists? No. No. No, it didn't. But I'm now considering it for a spot in top three. I'm not sure if it's going to okay. make it, but okay. I'm, I'm appreciating right. it more after that chat. Love it. Brody, what's your number two then? Uh, number two, I've got You're the One That I Want. I got chills, they're multiplying, and I'm losing control. Cause the power you're supplying, it's electrifying. Choice. A yeah. late addition to the show. Was it? I didn't know that. It was not the original finale song of, of the show. No, that was We Go Together. No, 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 no. The original finale song was All Choked Up. And then they cut it. That's right. And they put it. And now, ever since the movie, it's you're the one that I want. Honey. Yeah, that's a big part of it. I think, like, musically, I just love the way that song is. It's such a reliable way to write a song. It's super catchy. And it kind of, if you're looking for the plot to just have a nice little bow tie on it, the lyrics are trying to deliver that to you. Whether or not the scenes that you've seen beforehand are (laughs) still kind of clamoring in your head, it's kind of like, hey, look. They both changed in a good way. Super hunky-dory. Everyone flies off into the sunset in the car. <laughs> it's so true. I like that. You're it makes me feeling want. warm. Yeah. You're all the one full. <laughs> Honey. Right? It's so great. And I mean, you're right. It, it does have that happy ending where it's like, yeah, they're the ones that they want. You know? They're they're trust us. Like, Everything was good. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Trust us. We promise. Ooh. We promise. We Go Together finishes the original Broadway. Mm-mm. Yes, it goes all, all choked up, up. And then we go into the We Go Together reprise. Okay. All right. All right. Sorry, there is a reprise of We Go Together. <laughs> it doesn't actually end the show. It's a reprise. It's like the bow music. Still there. His butt a motif. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a motif that gets brought back. So we're going to dig it dig it off. We Go Together, back. like Brama Lama Lama. Yeah. Bob, what do you think of You're the One That I Want? Okay. I like that one. Yeah. That's not my second choice, though. Is it my turn? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's your second Uh, choice? There are worse things I could do. 
There are worse things I could do Than go with a boy or two Even though the neighborhood Thinks I'm trashy and no good I suppose it could be true But there are worse things I could do I could flirt with all the guys Smile at them and bad my eyes Press against them when we dance Make them think they stand a chance Then refuse to see it through That's a thing I'd never do Almost made my list. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Brody, did it make your list? No, that's not either of my lists. Mm. Ooh. I don't mind it. Yeah. It gives a, a female a voice that is not someone trying to change her. Yeah, no, she's very defiant. Well, she is saying, no, I don't need to succumb to what society wants me to be. Mm -hmm. And if I want to be with more than one guy, fine. I will be with more than one guy. Mm -hmm. If I want to have a baby, if I want to have an abortion, it's my body, my choices. I'm just going to do what I need to do. Way to go, Rizzo. Yeah. Rizzo was ahead of her time. She was. And I think she's the best female character on the show. I was just going to ask you that. Is there an argument to be made for Rizzo being the actual strong female lead? In yeah. yeah. Yes. She's got the biggest journey. Who cares about Sandy? She sells out to be on the bad side, apparently, whatever that is. See, I was right. <laughs> no, you can't. You aren't. I'm making a joke, sarcasm. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> like, <clears throat> she knows who she is and she's unapologetic about that. Yep. And she has the difficult journey. She has the difficult choices to make. Mm -hmm. And Stalker Channing killed it. True. Killed it in the film. Yep. And I'm sure to everyone before her. Rosie O'Donnell killed it on stage. Probably. Yeah. Even though she was 40, making those difficult choices. You go, girl. <laughs> you go. I know Rosie O'Donnell. These were the questions haunting me at 40. Yeah. But it's still, still, way to go, Rosie. Yes. Yes. Uh, so that is mine. And I think, I think it's a great struggle. It's a great soliloquy mm -hmm. song, actually. Yeah. It yeah. is. It, it, I mean, you put it right up there with soliloquy from Carousel. Yeah, it's just much shorter. Yes. <laughs> Appreciatively oh, much shorter. Really a lot shorter. Yeah. yeah. But you yeah. know I love a good soliloquy song. You so. do. This is good. It's a good song. Mm -hmm. it's, her, it's her being awesome. Yeah. I have a few soliloquy songs in my cut list. I hope I don't step Ooh. in any toes. Oh, goodness, no. Boy. We love a good debate on a cut song. Trust me, yeah. many an hour debating a song from a show. I might agree with all of them, by the way. So. It's true. Well, they're Autumn mostly Sandy soliloquy songs, so you might. Okay. Yeah. Autumn will definitely agree cut all of them. She's so boring. <laughs> That's basically my list, though. It's just like, yeah, anytime that Sandy gets up on her own to move her character plot along, cut yeah. them. <laughs> well, just cut them all. Them all. Cut them all. Cover as wallpaper. Great. Love it. Perfect. Love it. Done. Put on a yeah. leather jacket. Okay. Marie Malouli and Kadiki Dog. We go together. Yeah. Matt, go for it. What is your number three? All right. Well, my number three, Autumn, is the song that comes before your Rizzo song, 
which is, look at me, I'm Sandra D. Speaking of Sandy, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I like the song because it lures the audience into being bystanders into this bullying that Rizzo is doing to Sandy. And it's a bop and melody that lulls, as, as Jill said in her section, that lulls the audience um, into this piece where the lyrics probably go over a lot of audiences, but they're really cruel. And yeah, brutal. They're really mean, and I mean, it, it gets and the melody gets everybody on side with Rizzo, without fully comprehending what they're condoning, which is Rizzo saying, "Sandy's too good. Sandy's too pure. Like she doesn't smoke. She doesn't drink. She doesn't ill rat her hair, whatever that is, or ill rag her hair, whatever that, whatever she says for she has to her hair. It's like curling your hair with rags. Oh, there you go. I mean, so the fact that like Rizzo's saying she's too pure." I mean, this yeah. is a great kind of companion piece to their worst things I could do because it's Rizzo saying, I don't want Sandy's life. But in no. this song, she's tearing Sandy down for her choice of being. Because society wants everyone to be like Sandra D. And mm-hmm. that's insulting. Yeah, that but is- that's Sandy's choice to do that. And Rizzo's bullying her because. No, it's not pure. Sandy's. No, that is her parents' choice who made her into a goody goody. She yeah, has no agency of her own. She's like, I will be a good little girl. She's boring. She needs to be kicked out of the show. Make more no. I mean, Ugh. Sandra D, Miss Sa- Sandy Dombrowski there, she has her own agency. She shows up at school. She's not a wallflower. She she, she joins cheerleading with Patty Simcox. Mm, she, great. She's doing a science project with Eugene the Nerd. Like, she's doing her own things. She shows up to prom without a date or that dance without a date. She's being good. She's being Yeah, what's good. wrong with that? What's wrong with being good, Autumn? That's like I saying Amos Hart in Chicago is back because he's good and supports his wife. I, I know, but the, it's, it doesn't... King Arthur make... is good. Who? King Arthur is good in mm-hmm. Camelot. No, he's complicated. You're making him to... You're putting him on a shrine. Is not shrine worthy. He has issues. He's just t- slightly misogynistic. <laughs> slightly. Slightly. No, I think there is an expectation that women need to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. And if you defy that in any way, if you defy that purity model, the chastity club girl, then you are a dirty skank. And you know what? That is such a male gaze thing. And it's offensive. It's and we're going back into that absolutely abhorrent. So I th- I I wholeheartedly side with the Pink Ladies on this song. And it's not really against Sandra D at all. It's against the type. She's a symbol of how society thinks a woman should act. 
And it's funny, I'm watching the First Ladies on Prey. Me too! And you look Michelle at Michelle Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer yeah, Michelle Betty Ford. Betty Ford. Love it. And how everyone wanted her to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. They want all of these first women to start gardens. And you have these really powerful women with intelligence and their own voice and agency. And yet we keep on wanting to mute them. And that is what Look at Me, I'm Sandra B is all about. It's about the muting of women and their true authentic voices. And, that, and that makes it a good song. I agree with that. And I, I think that symbol that Sandra D kind of, you know, is at the start of the play, especially really leaning hard into, it doesn't seem like it's that good for her either. Right. And long she doesn't seem obviously the whole musical would not be about her pursuit to change herself. If she was content to be that perfect <laughs> characterless kind of <laughs> look at me and Sandra D. Yeah, it's something that's forced on us from society. And no, I'm not saying that being good is not a good thing. I know a lot of good people. We're all good people. Who deems us good and who deems us bad is this societal norm, right? So screw society. Let's just be our authentic, awesome selves and not feel pressure into being these virginal, I touched a boy's hand. <laughs> but, uh, Let's sing a song about it. <laughs> tell like, me more. Tell me more. Yeah. Did you get Harry car? Did he have a car? Like, <laughs> like I'd w- this is the reason why I'd want to play Kaniki. Because I'm like, yeah, let's d- deconstruct those lyrics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How far does she go? Like, we all have yeah. those conversations. And it's amazing what the men can get away with in the show versus what the women can get away with in the show. Mm-hmm. So the men can be total douchebags, ask if she put up a fight. No one judges it. They can talk about cellophaning their dicks to be safe. <laughs> and everyone's like, whoa, those T-birds are amazing. And Crazy yet, dudes. you know, you have women fighting against the system and we're, we call them bitches problematic mm-hmm. autumn rant which is sad <laughs> i will say though i mean i just looked up the scene so the scene so what sparked rizzo to sing this song is rizzo teasing <coughs> danny for falling for a girl who resembles the excessively proper teenage ingenue sandra d and the other greasers joining making fun of sandy for, for displaying those values so i mean it doesn't come from a genuine place of rebellion against the adults it comes from a place of let's make fun of Sandy for her values and be they, pure. They don't, they, they don't know maybe at that point. Like, yeah, in high school, I mean, aren't we all, we, you take things out on each other because that's just the person that's in front of you. But I would like to think that if you could ask that fictional group of young women 10 years in the future who they were mad at, their answer wouldn't be Sandra D. Yeah. But no, no high school kid would. They'd be yeah, like, yeah. oh, I was mean to that person because I didn't understand their intelligence or I didn't mm-hmm. understand, you know, it, it's really interesting. And Sandra D, right, mm-hmm. was the model of purity. Also, seeing as you want to go here earlier, mm-hmm. she is the model of the middle of her class. Mm-hmm. And the greasers 
represent the laboring working class. Yep. And of course, we are going to put them down mm-hmm. because they are menial workers and who the hell cares about them, yeah. right? Yeah. That's why they're upset. They just mm-hmm. don't know how to articulate it as teenagers because they don't have the vocabulary yet. Okay, Brody, what's your number three? Number three for top songs. Mm-hmm. This might be, a, might be a controversial one, but I got Grease Lightning on there. I'll have my overhead lifters and four barrel quads, oh yeah. A fuel injection cut off and chrome plated rods, oh yeah. Oh, with a force beat on the floor, they'll be waiting at the door. You know that ain't no shit, I'll be getting lots of tip and Grease Lightning. Good choice. No, why not? Yeah, it's a classic. I mean, like, it's, like it's a bop, man. And Kanicki's kind of like, it's that moment where he's like, he's that guy. He's, yeah. he's making Kanicki moves. He's got the Kanicki car. Yeah. I live in Bracebridge. Okay. Every young man is a Kanicki. So they drive a dirt bike. They play, with their, they play with their cars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now imagine how much more you'd appreciate those things if they were like, Doing hip gyrations and the <laughs> finger yeah, points. On it, we did it, Brody. We did it in high school, man. Yeah, with his hips. Am I right? And it's also one of those like, again, really cartoony moments in Greece, yeah. where it's just like, oh. okay, they're really leaning into this as hard as they can right now, and it's yeah. kind of hard to not grin at it at the least, right? Yeah. It's it's really over the top. It's but I don't think when they were writing it, they knew what they were doing. But they were really pointing out everything flawed in society. Mm-hmm. Like here are these dick guys talking about their cars or shining their headlights. But it's not like a car. Movies. I mean, that car is a euphemism for something else. Well, they're humping it. Yeah. They're like shining the headlights. Mm-hmm. They look like losers and for a lot of it, which is part of what makes it such an endearing song for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're idiots. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, God, please let there be something. This is our future. Yeah, it's the cool guy song where none of the guys actually look that cool. And the fact that the car isn't cool. I mean, that's the joke is that Rizzo has the reprise where she says like, there's puke on the back seat and like, good luck getting me to go down on you in this hunk of junk wagon. What the hell is that? It's got a dirty coat of Prima extended in the front. Oh yeah. The muffler's dragging. It's a big hunk of junk. Oh yeah. The fact that like the car is supposed to be like busted up and not good looking, but and yet amazing. they're making love to it. Their view mm-hmm. of their vehicles, yeah, and how it represents mm-hmm. their manhood. Yep, it's like yeah. when they invented truck nuts. It oh, was God. It's so on the nose. Yeah, it's so on the nose. But just that, like that idea of steel mm-hmm. and the the idea of living you know through your car yeah great choice i mean it's very subversive it tricks the audience they get into it without probably realizing what exactly these guys are talking about especially after the john travolta version everybody just has 
the car song, not, oh, it's the euphemism song for dicks. They're humping the car. Yeah. They're humping it. Oh, trust me, we did push-ups on our car. Yeah. Which is the high school version of humping. It is true. <laughs> it is the PG version of humping. Can I plank on this for a while? <laughs> <laughs> I think somebody actually did. I, I, I think that was I think that was one of the choreographed moves. Oh wow. Wow. Mm. Oh, it was a thing. Sexy, sexy, yeah. sexy car time. Yep. Yeah. Vroom, vroom. Yeah. Yeah. Well done, too. All right. Top three songs we either would cut or skip from the soundtrack. Mr. Brody Well, <laughs> give us your first Sandy song you want to cut or skip. The song Sandy. Sandy, can't you see I'm in misery? You made a star, now we're apart. There's nothing left for me. Love has flown. I, again, yeah, as I said earlier, it just doesn't do a lot for me. I, yeah. It kind of feels like a shallow as shallow a puddle type of song. It's obligatory plot movement. And it, it when you've got as many songs that are as catchy as like, you know, the S tier songs in Greece, these ones yeah. for me just kind of get lost in the sauce. I'm not really. Well, this I'm was young. a replacement song. Because yeah, in the original, it, it's Alone right? at the Drive-In. It's Alone at the Drive-In. That was the original mm-hmm. song that's way better. I'm all alone at the drive-in movie. It's a feeling that ain't werewolves without you yeah yeah Danny was talking about peer pressure in that when he said what am i going to tell the guys on monday at school when i get <laughs> and then this one's like sandy stella yeah like ugh, no thank you i'm with you i'm with yeah. you i look I'm not fans of Sandy and Danny. He's a bit of a, it's like, oh, guys, God, you guys, what a journey. Yeah, it's a lot. It's, yeah. a, it's just not as interesting as Kennedy mm-hmm. herself. It's true. They're the better couple. <laughs> they are. Well, they're, they're, they're the more dynamic couple. That's for sure. Yeah. I, they're, I don't know. They're kind of like Ado Annie and Will Parker in Oklahoma. They're the better couple you want to spend more time with. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I don't think I don't know if I have. I don't really have any. It's because I don't care enough. <laughs> I have to be honest. Like some of them, I'm just kind of like, I. This is not a soundtrack I would come to and go. Oh, I'd really like to listen to this. You don't this play this is- in the car for Hannah and Reed. No, I've never <laughs> even shown this to them. Oh boy, they've been never seen Grace. Gasp. She's going into I, high school. This is like the yeah. perfect movie to show. This would her. be traumatizing before high school. 
So, Autumn, is this whole exercise for you kind of just like us trying to revise the McDonald's dollar menu? Just like, why bother? Who gives a shit? It's a McDonald's dollar menu. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I would say Mooning. It's a stupid song. I spend my days just mooning. So sad and blue. So sad and blue. Like, I actually like that one because it actually makes sense in the show. Cares. No one cares about Jan and Roger. No one cares. Yeah, but it's better than some of the. Okay. Okay. I have a rebuttal to that one. Do you? Go for it. Those magic changes. That was my number one on the cut yeah. skip list. Those magic changes. My heart. Because, I mean, at least with Mooning, it actually does serve character and plot. It furthers does it? Roger by why everybody calls him Rump throughout the show. And also gets Roger and Jan together as a couple. <sighs> Those magic changes does none of that. It's just duty in the hallway with his guitar. And it makes no <laughs> dramaturgical <laughs> sense. I yeah. I remember us trying to learn the music for that one and all of a sudden being like, what the hell is this? This is like the last song we learned for the show, too. Because it was like, crap, we got to learn that one. Okay. Here's a lot of fluff. You can tell they flipped it to the three quarters yeah. from one quarter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're like, mm, I guess we need some filler songs. Yeah. Maybe we should give some of the Well, this was one of their first songs they had back in Chicago. I know. It was the first changes. song he wrote because he wrote that song. It was the catalyst. That was just yeah. terrible. No, it, it, it halts the show because it comes right after Summer Night. So it's like, what is this? Like, at least Grease yeah. Lightning and, and Freddie My Love makes sense after, after that know. song. But yeah, those magic changes. No, thank you. But Mooning, I get a bit more. Mooning, I'm like, yeah. I get it. At least it has some plot significance. Because it furthers Roger and Jan, but that's basically it. it's a step up from those magic changes. I can see why the movie cut both those songs. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Yeah, Not they're me. both forgettable for me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Those magic changes. All right, my number two was we go together. Brody, what's your number two? Uh, I've got it's raining on prom night.
good one. I remember yeah. us doing the the the, 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 the four part quartet for that. And that like the harmony is one of the only for me. It's the, like it's mostly a musical. Yeah. Issue with the song, it's just <laughs> doesn't grip me. I don't like the tempo. I don't. It's got some nice harmony in there, yeah. but it's sappy. It's yeah. It, the it woe really, is me song. Yeah. Me. I would call it a soliloquy, but there's no struggle in it. It's just no. like. <laughs> I'm abandoned. I'm alone. Woohoo for me, Sandy. Andy's with Cha Cha when he when he hand drives. You know what we call this? We call this a Hamlet moment. Or a moment. Boring. Boring characters. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, woe is me. Yeah, and this song, it's like they they distilled this entire song from the most boring version of Sandra D. Yes. So it's just like I'm not here for it. Yeah, no. no. It, it definitely does not serve any significance. Very, it's very goody. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> no, thank you. I agree with you, Brody. I like that. That's a good one. Autumn, what's your number two? I don't have a number two. I'm going with that one. Okay. <laughs> Great minds. Perfect. Boring. Awesome. Well, my number three then is Rock and Roll Party Queen. Which is the Duty and Roger duet song. That's a filler song. It really is. It isn't needed. It just introduces all the gang in the basement at, at Jan's place before they all find out Rizzo, Mr. Period, and is now potentially pregnant. It's like, what was the point of this? No secrets yeah. in this gang. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, especially after you tell Frenchie, she tells everybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's the best part of that song is that it's, it's, it's abrupt ending when Frenchie does the, you could be pregnant. Everybody's just the, the record scratching. <laughs> but it's like, what is the point of this song? Honestly, Jacobson. What is the point of a lot of these songs? Jacobson. <laughs> what, what is, is the, the point, point of Greece? <laughs> it was meant to be a commentary on 1950s teenagers. I mean, isn't that obvious? Was it, or was it just fluffer? I think it was a bit fluffer. I think it's a bit fluffery. I think it's a bit of truck nuts. <laughs> it's a lot of truck nuts. It's a lot of truck nuts. Yeah. A lot of truck nuts and pom poms. Everything yeah. wrong in the world. That's ever... the tagline for the show from now on: trucker nuts and pom poms. Truck nuts and pom poms. Oh, that's a great name for a band: truck nuts and pom poms. Brody, write the track. Let's go. I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna have to use my ghostwriting name in order to really put myself behind that one. Can you please do a rap song called "Truck Nuts and Pom Poms"? <laughs> oh God, yeah! Right before I retire, in disgrace. <laughs> You're going to make so much Brody, money. that could win you the Juno. Guys, I, I'm oh, not sure if this is the direction I want my music career to go in. <laughs> Has there ever been a more phallic representation of an automobile than in Greece? No. no. I can't think of one. I actually, like, at least in musical theater, I don't think. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang's too wholesome. <laughs> yeah. No one was trying to. Girls have a dream is too much about a dream. Yeah. About living the American dream. Yeah. Yeah. Priscilla, Queen of the yeah. Desert, that RV is definitely not phallic. There you go. So the horniest car in showbiz is, it is it's Kanicki's disgusting Grease. car. Grease Lightning. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. okay. Ready to go. All right, Brody, give us your number three, because I think that's it. That's all we need. Hopelessly devoted to you.
I skip you knew that I was scene in the movie all the time. Sorry, sorry it's okay. not it's not in the musical, the original, but it is in the movie. That's not in the musical, eh? Nope. Oh. That in the original, that song, I believe, was it's raining on prom night. Because that's not in the movie. All right. Oh wow. So I there you go. I've got both. The stand-in and the original song. Double <laughs> not okay. Double Clearly, Same they did band. not know what to do with Sandy when she doesn't go to the school dance. They were like, "We need a song for her, but what's the song?" Make it whinier. Yes, we devoted to you. For the same reasons as the other song, like I can't even give you a novel reason for it because it's the exact same bit. Like the it's musically crazy. uninteresting. It's lyrically vapid. Mm. It's it's bad slow, messaging. Boring. I'm not getting any doo wop pan drive moments yep. or car humping. Mm-hmm. And my my brain's turned off for it. Just getting good girl. Good yeah. girl society says yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm hopelessly devoted to you. Ugh. Nope. Uh, Bland, boring vanilla. Be more like Rizzo, Sandy. Exactly. Embrace yeah. your inner Rizzo. Put on that leather jacket. <laughs> Chain smokes some Belmonts. <laughs> yeah. Yes. When I did Greece, I started smoking, actually. Winston's. Woo! I know. I know. It turned me. It turned <laughs> me from a good girl into a bad girl. The Canadian B. Arthur. Twinkies oh. to Winston's to cigarettes and gins. <laughs> the sequel to the debut album, Truck Nuts and Pop-Pops. Please, we gotta do that. That's okay. a thing. Yeah. I'm writing that tonight. Truck Nuts and Pop-Pops. Start composing right away. Well, on the notes of Truck Nuts and Pom-Poms, mm. let's Give our final thoughts on this piece. Mm. Brody, does this musical still have a place today? Should it be revived? See, it's like a time capsule, right? Mm. But is it an authentic time capsule? Is it a good time capsule? That's kind of the question that I feel <laughs> like we're dancing around here, right? It does portray, with some accuracy, I say as someone born like 40 years after the play is set, <laughs> it does seem to portray with some accuracy the, mm-hmm. that decade. At least musically, it's kind of it's bang on, right? But yeah. I don't know. There are some things that kind of have aged a little bit poorly. Uh, I feel like if you're going to do a high school musical, the bar mm-hmm. is should be at least a little bit higher these days. Yeah. I, I am better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I vote for a Grease sequel that is there a Grease sequel? Did they ever? There is Grease 2 starring Michelle Pfeiffer. Okay. It's terrible. 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 So scratch that. Make it make a third Greece. Bring focus on just the characters we were talking about in this podcast. Leave yeah. leave Sandy and Danny out of it. They're losers. Yeah. <laughs> now now we're getting somewhere. Do yeah. a deeper dive, you know? Deep dive. Deep dive. The Kaniki and Rizzo spin-off are now team parents. <laughs> there you go. No. And Jan's the babysitter. No. Eating she, her Twinkies. She she makes her own choices. She eats her own Twinkies. She That's right. eats her own Twinkies, That's whatever right. that means. I mean, I'm sure <laughs> Twinkies were like a, were like a um, euphemism for something else back then, too. Mm, Twinkies. Yeah. With those dead. cream fillings. That white cream filling. Oh God. <laughs> it was a greasy musical. That's it was sure. a greasy musical. Mindset is like going, <laughs> thanks, guys. <laughs> I absolve myself. 
Thank you, Brody. Yeah, you do that. You do that. Uh, last thing I brought up was phallic cars. That's the last yeah. bit of Twinkies and their cream filling. Great. <laughs> that's that's on Mac. It's true. It is Play that Mac. back. <laughs> Autumn, what's your thoughts? Should this come back? Is this a musical you want to direct? Uh, no. Uh, up in Huntsville? No. No. Could this be the next Christmas show? <laughs> no. I, I don't even know if I want children to see this. I mean, I would do it as a ridiculous send-up to how things should not ever be done in the world. That's it. There you go. But I would, like, I'm too aware of the world. And there's so much wrong with this musical. There's so much wrong with this musical. It's misogynistic. It glorifies rape culture. Mm Mm-hmm. Like uh, it, you know, it that scene at the drive-in is not good. No, it doesn't yeah. give women their own agency and they're fighting. And then we call them bitches because they want their own say in the world. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know. And like, if, uh, yeah, no, no, I'm going to say no on this one. I don't normally say no. I usually find redeeming things, but I think of the audience of young people going to see this, and I don't think this is the message we need to be giving them. Yeah. 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 I can see. Or I feel like there's. Do, I mean, I started smoking during this show because I thought it was cool. So, again, don't get people to smoke. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I go, no. this piece is too mired in nostalgia and influence from the film version to now ever be performed authentically. So. Instead, it's not mainly done just as a simple showpiece. Instead of what, I mean, right? I mean, whether or not they actually hit their mark, but the original creators wanted this to be a bigger commentary on 1950s teenage culture. And we have strayed way too far away from that to really hit its mark anymore. Because, I mean, as we know, they've been cutting songs from the show to put in the film songs because those are more popular and poppy. So, I mean, for me, I'm like, if you want to revive it, Go for it. I mean, it's already getting a revival in the West End that opened this year. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. Um, Is that just nostalgia mining? That's got to be. It, it's, it's full of nostalgia. It's a money grab. It's a money yeah. grab. You do it now for it's a like money doing, grab. It's like doing any older musical. There's all, they're so dated. Yeah. So many of them are so dated, and no one reinvigorates them with any new thought. True. They just put new beautiful sets on them and go, oh, we've reinvigorated this. Yes. But it's not putting mm-hmm. any more thought into something. Yeah. It's just putting something up that people expect. Yeah. And we go, oh, we're dancing for grandma. Give us thousands of dollars to watch this show. There's no dramaturgical due diligence done. And that's my problem is that nobody thinks about this show on a deeper level. It's just, oh, yeah, Rimalimalikadikadikadong, you know, Grease Lightning. And it's like, it, I mean, if I were to revive this, I'd be like, let's go back to that original book where it's raunchy. We cut. You're the one that I want. We bring back all choked up. We get rid of those PG lyrics. We get really down and dirty and just show this piece for what it originally was. I mean, the fact that this started off as a community theater piece in Chicago where audiences sat on newspapers and their sets were painted on brown paper. I mean... I see what you're saying. Like, if you're yeah. gonna if you're gonna try and portray it as like an actual snapshot of the decade yeah. with like nuance to appreciate, mm-hmm. and if you're gonna try and portray like you know yeah. 
a, a misogynistic point in time for what it is. You yeah. can't be doing the Ramalama pop stuff yeah. from start to finish because the message gets lost. No, I, I mean, the yeah. fact that they cut the alma mater and the fact that the reprise talks about getting crabs and STDs or STIs and having to boil your underwear. I mean, the fact they cut yeah, that increases the word. Right? Exactly. That's the 50s. Like it's, I, I, I'm told. Yeah, <laughs> I'm told. We did not live it. Neither did Autumn. So no, I didn't. No. So I mean, I mean, for me, I go if in my idea world, that's how I would revive it, bring it back. But it's never going to be brought back that way because that's not a money maker. People mm-hmm. will look at that and go, "What the hell is this?" And it would run for like 100 performances and get closed. So yeah. I just go, "We don't need it." I mean, as much as it's a fun show, but like there are way better shows to do in high school Maybe. than this. I mean, hairspray if you have the right cast. What's on this island if you have the right cast? Beauty and the Beast has more of a positive message than this. <laughs> so, yeah. The like, text here seems to be that John Travolta killed Grace. Like, with true. the success of that movie, like, yeah. it, it, it enshrined it, it as a pop yeah. thing. A pop it really entity. Did. And then all the value gets scrubbed off. All the grit yeah. gets scrubbed off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He put his Scientology all over it. <laughs> God, he was a Scientologist. You guys right? might be marginalizing your Scientology listening demographics with this it's one. True. Careful. Okay with that. <laughs> okay. God bless you, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and on that note, for more contentious issues. Yeah, exactly. And on that note, everybody, that is it for season four. You can check us out on all the listening platforms. We have a season four survey you can do where you can give us your feedback. Yeah. Let us know who your favorite guest co-host was. Let us know if you want Brody on for more episodes, because I know we do. And I mean, Brody, normally we plug your stuff, but now you're here this time to plug your stuff. So plug away, good sir. Oh, shucks. Tell us where we can listen to Truck Nuts and Pom Poms. There is, to be 120% clear, there is and will never be an album with my name affiliated called Truck Nuts and Pom Poms. But if you want to listen to my music, which... If you're a fan of this podcast, you might like. As far as hip hop goes, it is among the more theatrical hip hop. I am Flozus, F L O W Z U S. You can look mm-hmm. it up anywhere. Look me up on your smart fridge. Like Maybe it. start with a laptop or a phone, but you can I mean, try your smart, smart fridge. fridge works really well with home decor. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You can listen to a song called Home Decor on your mm-hmm. home decor. This is Mackenzie's favorite. It is my favorite. It is my favorite track, Mr. Wells. Talks about it all the time. I love it too. It's it's pointless and theatrical, like so much of Greece. It it, right. It fits. I like it. I like it. Thanks for having me on the podcast, guys. I'm honored to be closing out the season with you. I know, and Brody, we're gonna have you back because I mean, we. I mean, Greece was your first one because it was like we did it together in high school. I mean, maybe when we do Copacabana, we'll bring you back. Oh, that. no. Just bring me back for all these bench warmer C-tier <laughs> musicals. We are not doing Copacabana. We are doing Copacabana. Now that we have Brody, we're so doing Copacabana. Oh. Let Brody do a good musical. <laughs> There's lots of good music. No, oh, Brody, we could do Newsies. Oh, hey, true. Autumn, where can they find follow you? All the places, all the times. Autumn DM Smith, all platforms. Timber Beast Productions, that's the theater company. Yep. Lesbianist, my other podcast, Lesbianist mm-hmm. FM, with my partner Sarah, soon to be wife, 
Very exciting. That's it. That's me. Nutshell. It's me. Love it. Love it. I will say before I plug my stuff, check out our Patreon where there's lots of good extra content. There's a lot of cut material from this episode. There's more truck nuts and pom-pom discussion on there. So definitely want to hear about that. And yeah, before the downbeat where we do musical commentaries, theater news, heck autumn and I may do a live stream chat all about the Tony awards coming up, or maybe we'll do a musical commentary on Greece with John Travolta. Who knows? Sure. We'll get Brody on for that one too. Yeah. You're going to force autumn into early retirement from the podcast. If you keep (laughs) making her do all these Greece analyses. Don't worry. If you survive cats, we can survive the evening. <laughs> and that dumpster fire of a butthole musical movie. Yeah. Autumn's eyes still twitches on that one. Anyway. Yeah. So you can find and follow me at Mackenzie Horner. Follow, follow my antics with Cup of Hemlock Theater where we're doing opening night reviews of shows we get invited to. We do roundtable discussions. Autumn's been on a few of those. We have our 100th episode coming up where we're going to have a lot of cool material for that one. Your 100th episode. Our 100th episode. We haven't even done 100 on Before the Downbeat. I know. Wow, you're nuts. I know, we're crazy, we're crazy. crazy. But yeah, that's it. Be sure to do the season four survey. Autumn and I are taking a bit of a longer hiatus between oh. season four and season five because we've done all through the pandemic, we did these seasons back to back to back. And we're a little tired. We need some time to recoup and get ready for the next season because we got some new guests we've got some good shows coming up but we want to make sure we do it all right for you so take a bit of a break with us go back listen to some episodes you missed because i know there's a lot of new listeners out there and until uh-huh. the beginning of season five stay healthy stay safe and remember grease is the word go grease light lightning truck nuts and pom-poms by father truck Fred. nuts and pom-poms <laughs> uh-huh. bye bye <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.